Welcome to HBW Insights Over the Counter podcast. I'm Hannah Daniel, HBW's U.S. health and wellness reporter, and I'll be your host for today's episode of Over the Counter. You'll also hear David Ridley, EU senior editor for HBW Insight, hosting other episodes of Over the Counter. Together, we explore the latest issues in consumer health and cosmetics across the U.S. and EU. We speak to industry experts and executives about market trends and hot-button issues within the OTC, dietary supplement, and cosmetics industries. In this episode, I speak to Alon Sudberg, CEO of Alchemist Labs and committee chair of the American Herbal Product Association Psychedelic Plants and Fungi Committee. While psychedelic mushrooms might conjure up the image of hippies in maybe the 80s, these funky plants are taking the pharmaceutical industry by storm. Elon talks with us about the founding of the AHPA committee and the regulatory hoops that companies will have to jump through to research and develop these products, and the benefits of psychedelic plants on human health. We also talk about how non-psychedelic mushroom products and dietary supplements are raising the public's awareness of the benefits of these fungi and how long it might take for psychedelics to enter the consumer health space. All right. Alon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me about yourself and the committee you work on? So my name is Alon Sudberg. I'm the CEO of Alchemist Labs. We are a 25-year-old family-run, independently owned plant and fungus testing laboratory. We started off doing uh, internal quality control for my father's line of tinctures, herbal tinctures, that he supplied to his chiropractic patients when he was a chiropractor. He's now retired. Uh, started doing some testing on internal uh, materials, failed a lot of stuff. The vendors came back to us and asked to, for us to retest others, and we found ourselves actually in the position of being a testing lab uh, and quickly pivoted because, uh, to me, it felt safer to test things rather than to make things. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, basically I was raised in laboratories and clinics, and so I've always had a microscope at home and, and played chemist and whatnot. So it was a natural sort of transition for me right out of high school. Um, to to start and run this lab. And so today, 25 years later, we've got about 40 employees, uh, a 21,000 square foot laboratory, and we're known around the world for testing plants and fungus for identity, potency, and contaminations now. And how did you get involved with AHPA's Psychedelic Plants and Fungi Committee? Yeah, so APA AHPA is a, is a trade association, the American Herbal Product Association, a natural fit for anyone in the herbal business. Uh, we joined... Um, a long time ago, not quite 25 years ago, but a long time ago, uh, in the teens at least, um, you know, we're a service provider, so I don't, we don't sell products, we just make sure our customers' products are good. So um, APA has um, a service provider membership rather than actually uh, someone who sells a product, and so we, we joined from that end. Um, about 12 years ago, I, I appealed to APA, uh, the president, Michael McGuffin, who's a good friend of mine, that we should start a cannabis committee because cannabis is on the scene showing up. and uh, you know, being in the quality control of plant industry, I said to Michael, I said, this plant needs our help. Um, and so back then it was medical cannabis. It was, rec- it was the recreational wasn't allowed yet, even in California, it was just medical. Uh, and so we started the cannabis committee to offer guidance to the industry on these important, uh, on this important plant. Now fast forward and you can see CBDs everywhere and everything. And so we kind of opened the door for responsible, mature and legal use of that material. Um, that put me sort of on the map in APA, and then I became the chair of that committee, and then um, later became uh, one of the many uh, board of trustees for APA, and I've been that way since. Fast forward now to these days, and it's, uh, like, to your question, uh, it's almost impossible not to read or hear something about psychedelic plants. Um, they have been, uh, in my life, on a personal level, 
for a long, long time. Uh, so I have a personal passion for it, a personal appreciation. And so, like I said, it was really hard not to see this coming down the pipes. Uh, and like we did with cannabis, we got ahead of it, or tried to, and I suggested to Michael McGuffin, the president of OPA, that it might be time for us to think about doing a plant, a psychedelic plant and fungus committee. Now, similar to cannabis, no one at that time in OPA was allowed to sell it. It was, rec it was medical cannabis and no OPA members were doing it, um, you know, from a business standpoint. Uh, and similarly, here we are now um, and today that it's even more illegal. There are no, you know, medical psychedelic bills, um, at least uh, federally. Um, and, and I think and I predict the, these plants and fungus will find themselves in similar challenges state to state, even county to county. Um, you're probably where Oregon is pretty um, ahead of the game on, on these materials, uh, making it legal. Uh, to, a, to an extent. So I appealed to Michael and he said, look, um, we can try to pitch it to the committee. There are some very conservative members uh, uh, there. In the last board meeting, I proposed that we start a, a uh, psychedelic plant and fungus committee. And, um, you know, I read the, the mission of APA is not to um, line the pockets of its members or of its board. It's really to protect plants and fungus. And so these are some of the most important plants and fungus on the planet. And we used in this industry thousands of them, 2,000 around plants and fungus medicinally, but the others in, you know, in the psychedelic realm are not really um, legally covered in, in our industry. But I, that, that doesn't matter because these are plants and fungus and our job is to provide support and, and uh, care for these important things. So um, I appealed to Oppo, uh, I had wrote up a nice little spiel um, and surprisingly there was not, uh, not a, a, a much opposition. And so the board um, decided to charter the committee and I'm the chair, and uh, it's going to be very interesting moving forward to see how and where this fits, because uh, it's, you know, like I said, it's somewhat controversial and uncharted territory. Yeah. So, can you tell me about like the specifics that you guys do? Like, maybe what's a day to day? What are some things you handle? Are you working with members more? Are you working with legislation? Yeah. So, uh, in in this case, uh, we're just started. So, we just had our first uh, meeting uh, a few months ago, and the idea was just basically to get a sense for who wants to be in this uh, committee. A lot of companies wanted to be companies I didn't expect, companies that I did expect. Uh, we went around and asked everyone for their, um, you know, why do you want to be here? And it was it was almost overwhelming that this is a personal and professional um, um, love of these materials and care and some of the, some people in our industry, some founders of the industry have actually started their companies because of experiences with some of these um, uh, materials the mushrooms to be, to be specific. Um, and so what we did next is also ask for what do you think we need to cover? So we're going to start, a, we're going to create a charter um, and really just to start the process of, of helping companies figure out the legalities behind this. Um, we're sort of getting ahead of the game so that when we are ready to go talk to um, the local regulatory uh, folks, whether it's the FDA or, or local uh, Congress people, we, we have our our um, mission sorted out and what we're you know why we're here to, uh, to do what we're going to do. Absolutely, yeah. I um, I remember reading that you guys were founded very recently, um, so I'm glad that you know we're getting to interview you and talk about the beginning steps, and you know very excited to see where you guys will go. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter. Make sure to follow Pharma Intelligence on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts to get notified about the latest episodes. 
Also, don't forget to check out our HBW Insights publication at hbw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all of the latest health, beauty, and wellness news. Now, back to the interview. You know, it's now switching back to what the market looks like for um, psychedelic plants and fungi. Um, Specifically, since we're a consumer health publication, what is the current landscape of psychedelic plants or fungi in the dietary supplements industry, if there is any? I mean, at this point, similar to cannabis, which you're now seeing finally years later, a decade later, making its way into other um, ingredients, it's been a, you know, um, sort of a a magic bullet ingredient by itself, CBD by itself. And now you're starting to see CBD with other compounds, other products under uh, synergistic um, plants. So uh, I predict that the the psychedelics, once they are, um, the legalities change, um, hopefully they do, they'll start to see themselves mixing with other uh, important botanicals and mushrooms in our industry. I mean, we've used botanicals and mushrooms in our industry for, for thousands of years. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole um, sector of our dietary supplement industry that's all about fungus. You know, it's hard not to know who Paul Stamets is at this moment, one of the more popular uh, fungal proprietors. At this moment, though, I don't know how that's going to happen um, or even when or even if because, you know, we have to get them not illegal first to figure out how we can uh, combine them and make them even more powerful. Yeah, that actually goes right into my next question about the legal challenges that companies face um, when they're interested in the research and development of um, products with psychedelic plants and fungi. Yeah, so we have this rare, um, as a laboratory, a DEA Schedule 1, 2, 3N, and 4, and that was so we can buy some um, reagents to do uh, tests in the lab. Um, If someone wants to make sure they don't have, um, you know, uh, to say methamphetamines in their a weight loss product or their, their sports product, we have to have a standard of methamphetamines to test for that in there. So hence we have this DA registration. We, when we registered for that, we asked for all of it and they gave us all of it, which was pretty amazing. We sat on that for many, many years. But so um, where I'm going with this is that you really can't play in this industry legally unless you have DEA registrations appropriate. So you can't test for things without that re- uh, registration. You can't make products, do research. Obviously that's not stopping many people or many companies, but the ones that are working uh, fast on products, uh, Filament Health, Microdose, there's a bunch of companies out uh, in our industry, um, as I mentioned, Filament Health, they're in Canada. They are uh, legally extracting psilocybin mushrooms for psilocin and making a product um, and doing all sorts of really amazing uh, research on that. So the the um, barrier for entrance in this part of the field is very high. Like you can go grow chamomile now and harvest it and have tea in about a, you know, one season. You can't just do that with psychedelics, uh, whether it be ayahuasca or, or salvia or, or mushrooms. You have to have the appropriate legal representation and legal um, permits, I suppose, to have hold, work with, and also test. That will be a problem for almost 90% of the industry. Um, just has just as getting that reagent I early spoke about that we had to have, the, that reagent has been nearly impossible for my clients to get uh, for their own internal labs which speaks to the DEA's flexibility on just even that. So I'm not predicting any um, landslide of, of products in the near future. It's gonna be, you know, five years, maybe 10. Can you quickly talk about the, the reagent and what it's, and specifically what it's used for in labs? One of the things you do with a, a plant, when you look at it, you wanna clear it, you wanna kind of like um, clear oils and, and pigments and you use a, a reagent called chlorohydrate. 
It's a scheduled uh, drug. So we obviously use it for clearing uh, pigments on slides. And to get that reagent, you have to have a DA registration. I forget which one exactly. And I teach uh, the class microscopy on botanicals for APA. And I share that reagent in the class, which is what I use. And then everyone goes home and back to their labs and they try to get it. And they, I think, I don't think anyone has been able to successfully get it. And I've probably taught about 30 or 40 different companies botanical microscopy. So that just, again, that speaks to the challenges of deregulating things. Um, you know, I understand chlorohydrate and why that's regulated. That makes perfect sense. Um, some of the other compounds are just political and, and uh, you know, there's other agendas at play, I think, here. Yeah, I was also going to mention the stigma around psychedelic mushrooms. I assume that's something that you have to combat. Yeah, yeah. It, just like we, you know, when we started the cannabis committee, we all had this conversation about let's keep this serious. We're not going to have any uh, joint committees. We kept it as professional as possible, and it, and it has maintained that way. And the psychedelics are interesting because there are already multi-million dollar big companies working on this, universities working on this. They're, they're years into it, and there's lots of money into it. So it's a different aspect from there, the, the, from that standpoint. That you know, the, when we started the cannabis committee, it was basically uh, medical marijuana and illegal marijuana or cannabis. Um, whereas right now there's illegal psychedelics, but there's also already legal psychedelics being you know researched and established universities and, and groups already working on it. So I, I think it'll work faster. Like I said, Oregon has already legalized it, or, or um, Portland has legalized the, the softer of those compounds uh, for, for recreational use, which is extraordinary. Uh, and will, you know, other states will follow, just like cannabis, you know, Ca California was one of the first, or first, I forget, uh, and other states followed, and there's still several more to go. And, rec you know, I don't think recreational psychedelics will pass as fast as sort of um, medicinal psychedelics for maybe, you know, MDs or NDs to prescribe to patients, um, you know, in a, in a controlled and mature uh, setting. So it seems like we're really following cannabis's lead in terms of how this is going to become legalized, lawful in dietary supplements and in prescription spaces. Yeah, and we learned a lot from cannabis, and we, I actually hope we don't follow its lead. We hope we learn from it and then take a separate path because it got a little yes. bit messy. I mean, county to county are different rules and state to state are different rules, and the rules actually don't make any sense in some cases. You know, we're, mar we're measuring a compound uh, 0.3 milligrams or whatever the THC level is. That was an arbitrary number chosen by some research paper 50 or 60 years ago. Um, I mean, jokingly, there's probably more THC in my beard hair than there is in the hemp in the industry. And then if you go into the cannabis side, it's what 25% THC. Or I mean, there's an, it's enormous uh, difference between what's legal and what actually has a therapeutic dose. So hoping that you know the psychedelic movement can avoid those kind of silly political traps. I also know that there's a lot of money behind this, whereas there was probably less money behind cannabis. So perhaps that money will help fast track it. And there's a lot of compounds out there that are, um, one, they don't have to be made in laboratories. Mushrooms are prolific. They grow where they want to, and no one's worried about, you know, extinct mushrooms right now. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, from the standpoint of supply chain and sustainability, not a problem. And uh, from the standpoint of being able to get these compounds out of these products, not a problem. You don't have to have big, huge warehouses of extraction facilities. So it's, it's available and it's ready and it's not endangered and it works. And also it's almost free. You know, it grows by itself on manure. <laughs> so um, I think it'll be a faster pace uh, than cannabis, but comp complicated um, and only faster because there's a ton of money to be made by folks who are interested in that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Cannabis is a whole mess of a situation. But going back to psychedelics and potential use in over-the-counter drugs and possibly dietary supplements, do you see a pathway for those to get there? I don't see the pathway. I believe there will be one that will show up. And again, it'll be through the push of big, established, mature, responsible companies and not our own industry. Uh, you know, and once they do it that way, our own industry will start to work on adopting that. I mean, I know for a fact people are already using psychedelic mushrooms with other medicinal um, products in our industry, just not legally and not selling it for revenue. Um, and it's, it's a known fact that a lot of these things can be combined and used together. Um, in a small, again, that we take mega doses and it could be therapeutic or terrifying um, or entertaining. And you take micro doses and it's, it's not entertaining. There's no entertainment value to microdosing. It's, it's just, it's like, um, you know, before we started recording, I was mentioning coffee. I mean, we microdose caffeine every single day, all of us. Uh, you megadose caffeine with one of these, you know, 20 liter jugs of caffeinated drinks people drink in the morning. I mean, caffeine is an alkaloid just like any of these other alkaloids. So it, if you back out of the, the stigma, we're already microdosing alkaloids on a daily basis and we already are addicted to them and we have to have them. We get grumpy or headaches. Um, there are shops on almost every corner in big cities that provide us our fix of caffeine. And I don't see any difference uh, between this and those. So I think that the path will emerge where it fits in the dietary supplement industry, as, as I mentioned, you know, we're 10 years or 12 years after the cannabis community is still figuring out where CBD fits and the FDA is still sorting out whether where that's going to live. Um, meanwhile, we're, you know, our companies in the industry are selling tons of it and, and the population has access to safer products, which is, you know, one of the, one of the um, sort of the offspring of the committee that we started at APA is that it, the, the landscape is much safer, much more regulated um, and, and terrific. It's just messy. <laughs> I am interested in how companies are using non-psychedelic fungi in dietary supplements and if that's a potential way to break the stigma around mushrooms. Yeah, so uh, it's funny. I just started uh, taking a, a few mushroom products from the industry. Um, and I used to a while ago, and I, I, I don't remember why I stopped. But, you know, I, being in this industry, I take a handful in the morning and a handful at night. Uh, and now I added more to my morning handful, and it's, you know, cordyceps, reishi, maitake, and lion's mane. And, you know, this is not, this is anecdotal um, experiential data, but I feel it. I feel a, a, a buzz, a pep in my step when I take those mushrooms combined with the other uh, B vitamins and other things I take in the morning, um, plus my caffeine alkaloid. I mean, it's my super mix, and uh, <laughs> um, it's wonderful. And but the funny thing is these have been around forever, these mushrooms, you know, in, in uh, um, Eastern medicine and Chinese medicine. Um, but they are making a comeback. There's some, you know, celebrity endorsements happening in that realm. Um, uh, Umbo, or Umbo is a new product, um, a fungal product. Uh, Rashad Evans, and I forgot the other gentleman's name, he's a football player, and they started this mushroom company. So this is celebrity endorsing of these products, and I guarantee that's going to take off faster than ever before. Um, so yes, non-psychedelics have been around in our industry, uh, the fungals, for, around for, for a long, long time. That's basically all we had um, to play with, plus the culinary versions of those as well. Um, and eventually you'll start to see the psychedelic versions um, merging or kind of intermixing in there as well. And again, I think at a micro-dose level, um, that's where it'll start. Um, and hopefully there will be access to the therapeutic side of it, too, because I, I truly believe that these compounds are, are extraordinarily helpful to people with mental disorders, trauma, um, depression, PTSD, 
all of those things. I mean, there's a lot of potential here, um, and I'm just super excited to be, you know, the first chair of this committee that's going to have some tiny part in it, you know, or at least drive it in a direction or influence some way, hopefully, to make it one, um, less illegal, and two, available, and three, the quality control behind all that as well uh, is really critical. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your insight, your expertise, um, and I'm just very excited to see what this committee does. My pleasure, and I appreciate their interest in taking some time to give it a little bit of attention that it needs. It's, it's going to be a big, big topic coming up soon. Over the Counter is a podcast by Informa Pharmaceutical Insights. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, check out HBW Insights. There you can find any articles that we mentioned in the podcast and other articles on the subject. This podcast and others by Informa Pharma Intelligence are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Spotify Podcasts. So make sure to follow to get the latest updates on when new podcasts are published. Thank you again for listening and be on the lookout for more over-the-counter episodes.